from my home studio. Welcome to Evolve, groundbreaking Jewish conversations. We don't create this project as an inclusion project that attempts to change how other people see us. This project is for us and by us, and this work sees the transness that is our essence as a gift. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman. Today, I'll be speaking with Lainey Solomon, who is a teacher and Torah lover who seeks to uplift the, this is in quotes, piously irreverent, queer, and subversive spirit of rabbinic text and theology. We'll be discussing their Evolve essay, Euphoric Halakha, The Trans Halakha Project. Okay, we talked last month about how hard it is to just carry on with business as usual with the Israel-Hamas war going on. And, and so many of us, um, especially, especially Jews, regardless of our political leanings, are, are feeling hurt, anxious, scared, and traumatized. And by the way, there are plenty of podcasts out there on the situations that are taking you through the emotional, moral, political, spiritual questions. Personally, and this is just me, I've been listening listening to, for heaven's sake, put out by the Shalom Hartman Institute, um, featuring Yossi Klein-Halevi and Danielle Hartman. Um, wondering what you're listening to? Let me let me know. Send, uh, send an email. I'd love to hear it. Um, of course, that being said, there are so many other important conversations going on, and, and all of us, uh, while a war is happening, can't forget about the environment, racism, queer and trans rights, um, so many things. And um, the Reconstructionist movement, I think, really makes the case that one of the best defenses against anti-Semitism, and we've seen truly scary levels of anti-Semitism in the U.S., around the globe, is to lean into Jewish community practice Torah study. That's not to say we put our heads in the sand, um, but we spend the bulk of our time on positive expressions of, of Jewish life, investing in them. Um, and in that spirit, we've got, I think, a really important discussion today about trans empowerment um, in Torah, Talmud study. It's a conversation that took place in the shadow of war, though it's not about the war. It's a conversation for the sake of heaven, and I was I was truly honored to be part of it. And if you you haven't figured it out by listening to me, or this is your first time, I am a cisgendered straight male who is actually not halakhically observant. Um, I've taken one graduate level Talmud class. I'm much more immersed in say the worst works of Philip Roth and Saul Bellow than the tractates of the Gemara. And I'm speaking with a trans teacher of Jewish texts about halakha. And listening to this conversation again before we did the introduction, I couldn't help think of Denzel Washington's famous line from the movie Philadelphia. Those of you who are old enough to have seen it, I think it came out in 1993, where he says, explain it to me like I'm a two-year-old. And some of my questions 
might come off as some version of this, but I hope you, um, I hope it reads as um, coming from a place of respect and and desire to to understand and uh, experiences and ideas out, outside of my own. Now, before we start the interview, a reminder that all of the essays discussed on this show are available to read for free on the Evolve website, which is evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org. Okay, now on to today's guest. Lainey Solomon is Associate Rosh Yeshiva and Director of Transformative Leadership at Sfara. Sfara's mission is to empower queer and trans people to expand Torah and tradition through the spiritual practice of Talmud study. Laney is a passionate teacher of Jewish text and thought, and they believe deeply in the power of Talmud study as a healing and liberatory spiritual practice. Laney holds an MA in Jewish education from the Jewish Theological Seminary, is a Schusterman Fellow, and received the Covenant Foundation's 2020 Pomegranate Prize for Emerging Jewish Educators. Laney Solomon, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. It's so it's so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Great. So um, let let's let's dive in. Um, I guess I'm gonna I'm gonna say it halacha. I know I know you can pronounce it uh, a couple different ways. Um, I think of halacha as as Jewish law, essentially what the ancient rabbis or or those who've interpreted them say you can do and you can't do. Um, how do you understand it? I, 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 I guess it's, it's your view is, is not quite that simplistic. Yeah. I love that articulation of what halacha is. And, um, I think with love and kavod for that, for that definition, I think that we often get stuck in a conflation between what our tradition calls halacha or halacha and halacha lemaase applied halacha or specific practices or the halacha of what you do. And um, my favorite definition for halacha is um, Jewish practice and its surrounding discourse. So halacha lemaase, halacha of action, that's the set of rules that are often written down, but part of sort of the hidden curriculum of Jewish life. That's the stuff that we perceive as what you uh, what you gotta do, the do's, the don't do's, and the how you do it. So, if there's some food in front of you, what's the blessing you say? How do you say it? Um, who can say amen? Who must say amen? All of that is the world of halacha lamase. Um, and often, when we're thinking about halacha, we think only of that. Um, but halacha is also, and our tradition says this, which is why there are two different terms. Halacha is also the discourse. It's the whys and the um, values that are underneath each of those decisions. And those decisions are unique actions that sort of codify and express those values. Um, so that's a part of what the Trans Halacha Project is about, is restoring some of those values-based um, conversations and articulations and understandings of what Halacha is. So I love that you started there. That's perfect. That's that's really interesting. So, so you would argue that Jews can and should engage with 
the discourse around halakha, whether or not they observe it, whether or not they consider themselves bound by it. Beautiful. I would say not only they should, but they already are. Halakha is actually just what Jews do. There is halakha lamase. There are rules of engagement and behavior in every community. Some of those rules are written down and some of those rules are just known. They're mimetically present. Um, but that is halacha. We are already doing halacha in each of our communities. And we often are afraid for lots of different reasons to name our practice as such. So the bound by halacha question, I would invite folks to think about what practices, ideas, and concepts they feel accountable to. I would imagine that every single Jew everywhere feels accountable to something. So whether you feel quote unquote uh, uh, bound by the rules that are written down in a certain set of halachic texts, to me is different than whether you are doing halacha. Interesting. Um, Maybe it's my, my encounters with, with, very well-meaning folks from from the Orthodox community, or or just my impression. But I would like I think you mentioned scared, or I don't remember what, or or, or reticent. What the word you use was, but I would I would be reticent as somebody who doesn't doesn't consider myself a uh, don't live my life according to Jewish law to stand up and say I have I have something to say about halacha. I would I would I would be if that that to me sounds scary. Yeah. I really hear that. And I think that um, I think that's a really pervasive feeling. I think part of that is that um, we conflate halacha as a broad discourse, as practice and its surrounding discourse. We conflate halacha, um, which I think is a really expansive and dynamic spiritual language with orthodox halacha with halacha as it's articulated, understood, and lived within Orthodox communities. And um, I think that's a loss for for non-Orthodox Jews. At least it's a loss for me as a non-Orthodox Jew, um, for someone who wants to live my life informed by and also informing um, the way our tradition unfolds. I know we're we're gonna we're gonna get there, but just just to try to get this out of the level of the abstract, is there is there an example you could you could give us of of, of discourse around halacha that that really speaks to you or might might speak to how non orthodox Jews live their live their lives? Yeah, I think that there is real halacha within the Reconstructionist movement um, related to blessings. Hmm. There is substantial discourse around how brachot have shifted, how liturgical language has evolved and shifted and and changed and moved, um, that I think is halacha. Not only the practice of what you say, whether it's melech or ruach or something else, that is the lama'ase, what our community is doing what words do we say? But the discourse, the traditional texts, the instincts and the intuitions that people have felt for weeks and months and years and decades and centuries that leads to those decisions, 
that's part of the discourse. So every moment of making a bracha and picking the nusach, picking the language, picking how you're describing God is both enacting the halacha lamase of the community, but is touching on and pulling from and informed by and then informing um, what halacha is. Great, great. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the Trans Halacha Project? Yeah, I sure can. Um, the Trans Halacha Project is, um, a, um, is a project housed at Svara, which is a home for Jewish learning that um, empowers queer and trans folks to expand Torah and tradition through studying Talmud. And the Trans Halacha Project housed at Svara um, is all about uh, empowering and nourishing trans Jews whose experiences aren't yet, um, aren't yet, but hopefully soon, at the center of halachic exploration. Um, and so we really do three main things in our work. Um, one is we create euphoric and celebratory opportunities for trans Jews to learn about and explore their own relationship to halacha personally and, and communally. Um, two, we curate existing and developing resources that exist out in the world for and by trans Jews. Um, and three is we develop new halachic literature um, that addresses needs and experiences of trans Jews. And one of the main things produced out of this are r- rabbinic responsa, um, Teshuvot, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, exactly. So over this past year, we published two main resources. Um, The first is called Tfilat Trans, which is a compilation of um, rituals and liturgical expressions and blessings that trans Jews created or found or developed um, or adapted to celebrate, honor, and... um, express through halacha um, moments in our lives as trans Jews. Um, so that's a, one of our the resources that we published this year. And the second, um, as you're referencing, Brian, is um, a series of chuvot, of um, halachic position papers, uh, essentially, that are responding to questions that we have as trans Jews. And these are modeled on papers from or 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 writings from like the middle ages or where where do um, yeah where do response come from i don't i don't know the history yeah beautiful response really comes from um basically letter writing that Hmm. communities would engage in or rabbis would engage in to other rabbis so a process of writing a letter usually um what might happen is um as Jewish communities were spread out, um, not all communities had access to a ton of books and also to a ton of learning. Um, And communities were really figuring things out for themselves. And so communities would write or leaders of communities would write to leaders of other communities to pass along um, questions about practice, about what to do in a seemingly unprecedented situation. And there are all sorts of modes that that letter writing took place in. And all, some of them are paragraphs. Some of them are long form letters. Some of them 
now often are more position papers um, that are geared towards uh, a pedagogical resource, so to speak, as opposed to a sort of binding letter. But these um, throughout history were sort of like the emails that people write to their teachers, like, hey, what do I do about this? Um, and so some of the teachers would write back briefly and some would write back in more lengthy uh, papers. And so our true vote are modeled after that discourse. And I, I want to ask about the response that you authored. And I'm wondering, did it come from a question you were you were asked maybe over email or did it was it was it just a, a topic that had, you know, that you'd been wrestling with or how, you know? Yeah. Um, the question that I explored is what is the proper blessing or a proper blessing to recite over taking testosterone via gel daily? So the hormone, the gel, and the daily all felt like variables that informed the answer. Um, so that's why I say it like that. Um, and it's a question I have been asked quite a bit. And it's one that I didn't have um, clear insight into until it was an experience that I had. And so that's one of my orientations as a tshuva writer is um, really being precise about my awareness and attunement to the experiences that I've had, as opposed to um, imposing or expecting that I understand the experience of someone else. Um, so I felt like I had been asked that question quite a bit, but it wasn't until I started the practice of taking testosterone daily via gel um, that I really had an answer or that I understood even what the question was. And what is is the question that that traditional halakha would have would have prevented presented challenges from doing so, or there just wasn't a clear way to to mark that practice and be mindful of it, like or find yeah. meaning in it, like yeah. So um, you know, in in the evolution of of testosterone, I didn't know of any codified articulation of what one should say, what bracha one should make. Um, and it was obvious to me that a bracha should be made. So the question I didn't ask was, should one make a bracha? Right. It was obvious to me, and I borrowed the language here from the Talmud, um, my mevarech, what, how do we bless? What's the bracha? Um, when the rabbis of the Talmud invent, for example, Hanukkah, they invent that holiday. They invent the process of lighting candles. They ask the question, my mevarech, what bracha do you make? They don't ask the question, should we bless this newfangled practice that we invented? Instead, they say, it's obvious we should bless. So we're going to ask the question, what's the blessing? Um, and that's the place I started my tshuva from was, it was obvious to me that there is a bracha. I say a bracha over everything I do. Why would this be unique outside of the, um, the realm of my practice? So it was obvious I would say a bracha. And then my question was, what bracha do I say? Um, and the the way I engaged in that question is how halacha always unfolds, which is um, a new thing comes into existence or a thing that exists and has always existed uh, comes into our consciousness. 
what is it like in our tradition? What is it compared to? Where can we have an analogy that can help us understand what to do in this particular moment? So I sat and looked through a bunch of different sources about brachot. And I thought, what is this like? Is this like the bracha that you, a bracha you would say on a mitzvah? Is this like a bracha you would say over seeing um, something majestic out in the world? Is this like medicine? Hmm. Is this like food? What is it like? Um, and that's really how I went about my process. And if, if we, I mean, if we go back to the the origins of rabbinic Judaism, the, the folks who, the generations that came up with this system are, are, are maybe not as different from us as, as, as we think, but certainly, certainly different, certainly, you know, wouldn't have had our, our, our same views about inclusion. And, and, and I guess I wonder, is there just, is there just something about the system or the, the methodology they created that so speaks to you, like the, the, the detail or the looking at context, I guess I'm, I'm just, I'm just, um, yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, the content of what they created isn't always going to reflect my values right now. Um, but I don't think that I am that different from them. I think that we all aren't actually that different from them. I think they moved through the world a world of chaos and grief and war and mm. collapse and feeling the ineptitude of an inadequacy of leaders around them. Um, they understood oppression and harm and pain. And they, like us, both um, sought liberation and also enacted suffering. Um, that is a part of their legacy and a part of our legacy. And so I think um, when I encounter them, I feel aware of those pieces, of course, in limited ways. Um, I'm just one person, but I feel aware of those pieces and it doesn't, it doesn't disallow me or, or prohibit me from engaging in this, what I hope is a project in their legacy, which is to take the stuff that I've been given um, and to change it, um, or find new things in it or expand it or grow it, um, which is the project that I think they were all about. Um, they took a Torah that had a certain number of words and out of it, they created, um, a tremendous body of expansive literature. They were all about the magnification of concepts and ideas and playing out values and finding analogies um, that enabled them to locate themselves in the story that wasn't really made for them. Are there other examples you have of folks who've already sort of found themselves reflected in this, in, in this project or, or found a new, a new practice or fulfillment out of, out of the responses that have come out? Yeah, we've seen um, folks who have used um, prayers or rituals in tefillah trans to make art for themselves. Folks who have, um, we find a lot of it on Instagram, uh, a very hot place for trans halacha these days. 
um, folks who are incorporating these rituals into their lives, folks who are learning these to vote. I think my favorite thing um, is when folks learn these to vote and then push back or have an experience that isn't yet reflected in the language. Um, that's when we know these are real, is when folks engage with them and learn them and then have their own insight. Um, so that feels like a, a powerful also um, mode of engagement that I'm very grateful to get to witness um, when folks share that with us. How does how does the project fit inside Svara's overall mission? Yeah, so Svara's mission is... Um, is all about empowering queer and trans folks to expand Torah and tradition. Um, so I feel like that's what's happening. Um, the The blessing of this work is that it helps to um, expand what our tradition is, what it can be, um, and I think I think there's also a way in which um, our current expansion with humility impacts the tradition itself. Our true vote, I hope, will help people maybe have a different relationship to aspects of Hilchot Brachot. Um, maybe they'll encounter blessings differently after, in, after thinking about what blessing to make on testosterone or um, you know daily via gel or in any other form. Um, so I do think there is uh, a forming and informing that acts in multiple directions um, that we're trying to to cultivate at far broadly and um, in the work of the Trans Halacha Project specifically. How would you? I mean, obviously, the work is not happening in in, in a vacuum. Um, you're doing the, this project. You've, you've during you know what. I think could rightly be described as a challenging time for queer and trans folks. Certainly, certainly in, in the United States and in many states, there have been um, laws—you know—laws seem to particularly targeting the trans community. Mm -hmm. um, I guess how how do you see the work fitting into the the political social context of our of our moment? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, for me, there are two pieces that come up in this realm. Um, the first is that in moments when communities and people are subjugated and attacked and attempt and attempts are made to legislate those people out of out of existence, um, coming together and celebrating our transness um, without reservation and acknowledging the beauty that our transness offers, um, is a political act and is essential. Um, we don't create this project as, uh, you know, an inclusion project that attempts to change how other people see us. This project is for us and by us. Um, and this, this work wow. sees the, the transness that is our essence um, as a gift and not as something that is allowed to be in the room, but something that is essential, that is offering revelation and um, vision into this world that wouldn't be there without us. So hmm. that in and of itself is um, 
I think extremely powerful and something that I feel blessed to experience as we come together um, and learn. Um, and the second piece I think gets to why it feels so important for me to disentangle um, halacha from quote unquote law as we understand it. Um, so many of us that are subjugated under the American legal system, we relinquish our relationship to our tradition and our ancestors when we allow law to be defined by the people trying to subjugate us. So if we define halacha as law, I'm like, uh-oh, that's uh, conflating this tool of domination and violence and subjugation in many to many hmm. um, with a liberatory world-building project. And those two things are very different. And while we could spend a lot of time finding expansive definitions of law that create more entry points, um, which is important and holy work, I also think knowing the ways in which halacha has operated outside of and counter to state legal systems is really key. Um, that is a fundamental part of what halacha is, what brought it into being, and what it always has been. Um, is It is the ways we take care of each other counter to and in opposition to and beyond the state. So I think that piece for me is part of um, the liberatory legacy of halacha that we can reveal together when we disentangle it from, from law. Noting that it, 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 it definitely helps to have some background in, in, in studied Judaics or Talmud in, in reading, reading the responsa, even though they, they are... They are definitely in English. It, 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 I think it helps to have some of that reasoning. Where, where does, where does somebody, where does somebody start? Where would you recommend somebody if they've, you know, they've never really engaged with Talmud or Halakha, but but just are, are are drawn into what you're saying? Where 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 could somebody get get going? Yeah, you know, I'd say come learn with us at Svara. Um, we learn. Um, Talmud in the original and develop our capacity to translate the tradition for ourselves. Um, all you need is to uh, is to be able to decode the Aleph Bet. So to sound out the letters of the Aleph Bet, you can start learning Talmud at Svara um, or at any of the the um, learning spaces that our fellows, um, folks who are are trained to teach at Svara, any of the places our fellows have developed, you know. All, uh, all over the world. Thank God. You've described yourself. You described yourself to us uh, before we got on, on on recording as a as a Torah nerd. Um, I, I've it's been true. involved. I've been involved in Jewish stuff my adult life, which which now is 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 not not so short. Um, a couple decades, but I wouldn't describe myself as a Torah nerd. So I guess I'm wondering how, how do you be how do you become that? Great. How do you become a Torah nerd? Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So um, I don't know how you start having the desire to be a Torah nerd, but once you have that desire, um, I think, I don't know if that desire was learned or innate for me. 
Um, but I think that um, I love um, worlds, like things that contain worlds. And I always have been really moved by and drawn to um, world building projects, things that are imagining different worlds within the world that we are or counter to the world that we're living in. Um, and I think that from really my earliest moments encountering Talmud and, and especially Halacha, I felt the, the, I felt captivated by the world building that was present and, um, felt inherent to this project. Um, you know, both the fantastical elements of, of, imagining places that no longer existed um, and imagining ways of leading and ruling and judging and being in community that weren't lived necessarily, but were a part of the rabbinic imagination. Um, those things always really captivated me. So I think my nerddom just, you know, flowed right from there. Um, Maybe it's just that I'm a nerd in general and that I found my way from being a regular nerd into the world of uh, nerding out about, about Torah and Talmud. But if you own it and, and, and love it, that's the take pride in, in the nerd dome, right? That's I, right. Um, I, I, I can relate to that for sure. Um, I guess it's like flowing from that. I'm, I'm wondering what, role did Jewish practice Torah study sort of play in helping you become the person you are maybe maybe including your journey in in, in mm -hmm. gender transition I'm wondering if it I mean it just seems to me it must have it must have played a role mm -hmm. yeah um you know a lot of folks who are um connected to the trans halacha project or to Svara or um just out in the world I've heard a lot of folks describe powerful connections between um, deepening or developing or finding Jewish practice and um, deepening, developing, and finding their authentic expression in and through transition. I think that, um, you know, and my colleague uh, Rabbi Chava de Cordova talks about this. Um, the ways in which trans folks gift the world, I think, with the invitation to participate in self-creation. I think that trans folks visibilize for all of us the power of creating oneself and the role of each of us to develop and define and decide and create who we are. That's something that trans folks do, you know, as part of our survival and also our thriving. Um, and I think that that is really connected to what it means to develop and create ourselves as Jewish people. What it means to find practices that um, help us feel euphoric, that help us see more of who we are. Um, and I remember the first time I put on tzitzit, um, a, a talit katan, when I was in high school. 
And I did feel um, more of who I was. And I don't know to what extent that is about gender or to what extent that is about um, mitzvot or to what extent that's about any number of things. Um, But I think all of those pieces, our gender, our relationship to mitzvot, our relationship to God, the clothing we wear, uh, the way our bodies move is all part of creating ourselves. Um, and participating in in self-creation. By the way, uh, uh, Lainey, you mentioned Rabbi Chava de, de Cordova. I know we, Aval, just had a, a wonderful uh, web conversation. I think, I think you were, I think you yeah. were, you were on there. So we're yeah. going to, um, which, which um, touched on some of these, some of the same, some of the same issues and concepts. So we'll definitely uh, leave a link in our, in our show notes um, so folks can find it. Awesome. Do you follow Reconstructing Judaism on social media, on Facebook and Instagram? Find us at Reconstructing Judaism. This Hanukkah, we'll be sharing uplifting messages about finding the light amidst the darkness. We're calling the campaign Light Now. Be on the lookout for videos, poems, and thoughts on where we can find light in this difficult time. And If you're enjoying this episode, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. These ratings and reviews really help other people find out about the show. And by the way, we did just recently celebrate our 100,000th episode download. Thank you so much for listening and helping us cross this threshold. All right, now back to our conversation. So at the risk of asking maybe one too many questions about, about Halacha. Um, Impossible. <laughs> I don't know. Well, um, so I, I think you might've referenced it, but, but in writings and in, 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 in previous conversations, um, I, I've really heard you mention the term euphora Halacha. And I'm wondering if you could explain that or add to what you've already said. Great. Um, Euphoric halacha for me is um, borrowing some terms that I knew and lived and felt in my body in uh, relation to my transness, euphoria and dysphoria, gender euphoria, gender dysphoria, um, and connecting them to things that I felt when engaging in or learning, or reading, or hearing um, halachic discourse. And the way I define these terms or offer them and invite folks to use them however feels right, um, is that for a long time, all of the halacha that I encountered related to trans identity was what I would call dysphoric halacha. And you can recognize dysphoric halacha First, by how it feels in your body. It is about the places where trans folks um, do not fit what has existed and attempting to contort or move or um, adjust our bodies and our lives and our experiences to make them make sense from a cis-normative perspective 
perspective. So dysphoric halacha is like when cis people ask trans people, well, what bathroom do you use? It's about trying to understand how trans bodies fit into a system that is upheld um, and designed both not with us in mind and often um, to maintain our limitation and our our, um, constriction and domination. Dysphoric halacha is when folks ask questions about trans people without trans people being part of the questioning. It's all about where we don't fit. And euphoric halacha is about where we fit. And not only where we fit, but is about the places and the spaces in practice and discourse that our lives and bodies are here to reveal. Um, So euphoric halacha is like, I think actually what halacha is about. I'm using, um, I'm using language that resonates with my, with my experience as a trans person. Um, although not all trans people experience dysphoria, um, but that is a part of my lived experience is that binary between euphoria and dysphoria and moving and, and shifting between it. Um, but I do think euphoric halacha is actually halacha that feels good, which is what halacha is about. It's particular language to describe that, um, but it, it is a part of the um, halachic project. And remind, what are some of the other topics that are... Uh that are raised as part of the, as part of the project? Yeah. So, um, in the first cohort of chuva writing, um, we had one chuva about what to do about and how to relate to, um, parts of one's body that are removed in gender affirming, gender affirming surgery. Um, that included how to relate to those body parts and also a ritual based on nullifying chametz. On, on Pesach that one could do um, to nullify uh, those those parts of their body. It's uh, a really interesting exploration. We had um, a, a tshuva that explored um, immersing in a mikvah while wearing a chest binder. Um, hmm. We had a tshuva that explored the idea of um, transition itself as a mitzvah as the fulfillment of a mitzvah. Um, we had chuvot that explore, a series of chuvot that explored the question of, of nida um, and various perspectives on nida, uh, things related to quote-unquote menstruation. Spoiler alert, those chuvot will agitate that definition in beautiful ways. Um, and things related to mila, to circumcision. Um, so a really wide range of, of things that folks wrote, a, wrote about. And in our second cohort, which we'll be starting this winter, um, we'll be exploring questions related to Priya Uruvia, um, the idea of fruitful multiplication, um, what's often seen as the mitzvah to procreate, but which we're hoping to um, explore more expansively. So no, no, um, no easy way to say this, but 
you and I are talking on October 17th, 2023. Um, we'll be releasing this sometime in, in November. We're 10 or so days into a war, horrific violence. Um, I know, you know, as as an organization, we've even reconstructing Judaism, we've wrestled with, you know, to what extent do we go on with regularly scheduled programming, you know, to what, ex- you know, and what's the messaging around that? Or, or, um, and it's, and it's tough. I mean, I think no matter one's political philosophical positions, this is, this is a difficult time to be, to be Jewish, to be human. Um, I, I guess just, just personally, I'm wondering what, what role Torah study, Talmud study is or teaching is playing in getting you through this. Um, I mean, I mentioned, I mentioned before we got on the air, whatever mindfulness practices I've developed, um, which usually seem fairly effective, just, just kind of seem like overrun by a torrent of, of thoughts and, and, and not particularly effective. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a long way of saying, how is your, you know, how is your, your Torah Talmud study, what role is it playing in, in, in getting you through this time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really powerful question, Brian, and um, a really painful moment. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the Talmud is not a stranger to war and to heartbreak and to pain and domination and persecution. Um, The world that we live in expresses those things differently than, you know, the world of the Tanaim, uh, the early rabbis who created the Mishnah. Um, But it's not always that different. Um, And I think part of the gift of our tradition is knowing that our ancestors have held so much. Um, And for me, that is an invitation to know that I, as one human being, don't have to and also can't possibly hold it all. Just me. Um, So part of my relationship to Talmud, I think, gifts me that, and I hope gifts many of us that, um, in whatever ways that feels right and aligned. Um, and the other thing is, um, a colleague of mine, um, Julie Batts shared the other day that, um, you know, we teach Talmud to beginners and we also teach Talmud to experienced learners with beginner's mind. Um, Hmm. And right now, this is what Julie shared, and I I feel the same way. Um, I am a beginner at what it means to learn and teach and live in this particular moment of war and devastation. Um, I'm a beginner. I'm not an advanced scholar in anything like this moment. Um, And knowing that um, feels really important for me as a teacher is to humble myself before that and in light of that truth um, and to open myself up to the truths that I'm missing 
and that I'm only beginning to understand. Wow. I'm thinking of trans and queer youth, um, probably not going to be reading some of some of these responsa at, at, you know, 11 or 13 or, but does, does their existence, um, you know, make a difference for them or, or, you know, somehow pave the way for it to be easier to be fully themselves as a, as a Jew? I, I guess I'm, I don't know if that was the most precise question, but I, th- yeah. I think you know what I'm asking. I know what you're asking. Yeah. You know, I hope so. Um, I, I deeply hope so. You know, I was, um, I grew up in Jewish communities and was part of, you know, I went to camp and I was in two youth groups in high school. Cause you know, I was a nerd, as I said. Um, and I never, until I was in my mid twenties, I never saw an adult that looked like me. I didn't, Uh, as a young person, I actually didn't think that I would grow up. Like I had a weird sort of confused um, sense of will I become a grown up hmm. Um, because I never saw an adult that looked like me. And a part of that is that's not because there weren't trans elders, although there were not that many, um, but is part of also how we invisibilize the work of our elders. Um, And so my hope is that all of this work can also catalyze an understanding for all of us that we are here, we have been here, we always were here, um, and that our stories are real and deserve to be told. Lainey Solomon, thank you so much for a wonderful enriching conversation i really appreciate it thank you it's it's such a pleasure you love our podcast i know you do you read our essays but have you checked out our live web conversations on evolve's homepage, which is evolve.reconstructingjudaism.org click on web conversations to learn more about upcoming sessions and register or you can tap on the link in the show notes We'll be back next month with an all-new episode. The Evolve Groundbreaking Jewish Conversations is executive produced by Rabbi Jacob Staub and edited by Sam Walks. Our theme song, Ilufinu, is by Rabbi Miriam Margols. This show is a production of Reconstructing Judaism. I'm your host, Brian Schwartzman, and we'll see you next time.